Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you could open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Well, I hope you're enjoying the short voyage through the book of Jonah. We're in chapter 3 tonight, and it's another 10-verse chapter. Okay, the last one was 10 verses. The first chapter was 17, so it's a, it's a quickie. But let's, uh, I'm going to read it, and then we'll uh, pick it apart a little bit. So Jonah chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Father, I just pray tonight that as we get, look at these ten verses, that we will learn things about Jonah's time, but more importantly, Lord, that we learn things about our individual selves, and that we will just submit ourselves to you, Lord and that you would continue to change us from the inside out. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week we looked at Jonah chapter 2, and here's some of the lessons that Jonah has learned so far, based on chapters 1 and 2. We found in chapter uh, 2, he learned to pray again. And if you remember, he was in the belly of the fish, and it was during a very difficult time, through adversity, his life was on the line that he went back to prayer. May it not be so for you and I. Let us always pray without ceasing, 24-7, 365, in good times and in bad times. Let's not be a Jonah. Let's not have to get to the depths of despair to pray. Number two, Jonah found out that God listens. He listens to his prayer. And in the case, Jonah realized the fruit of his prayer when the fish 
vomiting them out on dry land. What a pleasure that must have been after three days in the belly of the fish in the depths of the ocean. Number three, Jonah really learned that God was in control. Can we identify with that control of Jonah, that or the control of God, in our circumstances? Or are we still unsure? Do we still doubt who's in control? Fourth, our God is a God of hope. Jonah thought he was going to die. He thought it was all over. But yet, if you look at chapter 2, remember he prayed that he would face the temple again. He showed that there was hope because he believed in a God of hope. What a comfort that is, that we don't believe in a God of despair, of discouragement, of disaster, but a God of miracles. He's a God of second chances, as we can see in this neat picture. Think about that. If that was you on shore, and you saw the fish that you were in swimming away, how many of us have had second and third and fourth chances? If you're here tonight, it's not the end of the line. When you leave here tonight, it's the beginning of another chance. We saw in chapter 2 that God is everywhere. And like in the Psalms, where can you go to get away from God? There's no place. doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you go. Even if you go in the depths of the sea, if you go to hell, you go to heaven, other side of the earth, it doesn't matter. God's there. He's a God of love. I think most of us have experienced that love. Jonah knows that love in a greater depth right now. And number eight, salvation is in him alone. Remember the sailors. They were praying to their gods. There was no salvation there. The salvation came through the one and only, our God, our God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know him as Jesus Christ who revealed himself to the world a couple thousand years ago. We need to look at the story of Jonah as, about, uh, as a story about you and I because we should be able to identify with this guy in all different ways. Maybe not all the ways, but definitely in some of the ways. Hopefully you've identified already some of the ways. And before we get through chapter 4, I'm sure you're going to find out one or two more ways that you can definitely identify with Jonah. Let's go to our scripture, um, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Question, how many times does the word of the Lord come to you and me? before we obey it. How many times have you been exposed since you were a young Christian to your present day that you've heard God's, you know God's word, you've heard it. Example, maybe this is the fifth, tenth, fifteenth time that you've gone through the book of Jonah. So you know God's word, 
but how many times do we actually obey it and see the result of that obedience? Don't ever get tired of hearing things in God's Word that you heard before because His Word is active and alive. It can come to you in your daily circumstances that are totally different today than it was five years ago or five minutes ago. You don't know how God is trying to reach you and tug at your heart. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, it's pretty cool. It's the gospel message in just four verses in the New Testament. We're going to look at just eight words that this prophet Jonah said to millions of people without TV, Twitter, Facebook, chat rooms, radio. He had no other communication but his spoken word and people passing it down the line. We have God's written word throughout Scripture, but here in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Here's our message of hope to a drowning, dying world. Just like Jonah in the belly of the great fish, he knew God's Word, but he ran from it. And God loved him so much that he put him in a circumstance to bring him back to his knees so he would start communicating again with God. But he also remembered his word. If you're in a place today where you're not communicating with God and you don't know his word, guess what? You got another chance. You got another chance. Take it. Don't be foolish like a Jonah where God has to put you in a circumstance where you're going to fall on your face before Him and cry out to Him. Do it now. Do it now. One of the things um, I was just thinking about Jonah is his heart had become hard in chapters 1 and 2, and I'll tell you ahead of time in, verses, in chapters 3 and 4. His heart is hard. Not totally hard. He wasn't shut out from or shut off from all the things of God. But like this heart up here, it was surrounded by stone and only bits of the heart were exposed. I believe to some extent this is a picture of my heart and your heart. Maybe there's more of the red of the heart showing if we looked at your heart. But I can almost bet there are some, still some parts of the heart that are covered with stone and that God is trying to chip away at you. And it really doesn't matter your age because I'm looking and you're looking at eternal creatures. I'm an eternal creature, so are you. 
And as long as we're walking on this earth, God is going to keep chipping away. Going back to verse 3, uh, 2 and 3. We see that Jonah, when he, the word of the Lord came to him the second time, we see unlike, that unlike the first time, he obeyed. So notice what Jonah did in 2. He gets up and he goes. We are active participants in God's kingdom. We're not bumps on a log, nor should we be. We need to be actively participating in what the Lord is telling us to do. We need to get up. We need to go. We need to get up and go to church to fellowship with like-minded believers. We need to get up and go into our jobs and our schools and, and town and workplace to mirror Jesus Christ in the circumstances that come throughout the day. Because God knows before the creation of the world or knew before the creation of the world those very circumstances that you and I don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. But by communicating with our Lord and Savior and reading his playbook, we are now prepared to go into the circumstance tomorrow with his word hidden in our heart. So in verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city a three-day journey in extent. And here is a couple pictures. One on the right is an artist's depiction of what it must have looked like back then with some of the artifacts and archaeological digs that they found. And they sort of created it. One of the things here in the verse, it says a three-day journey in extent. And what that basically means is when you entered this is a, a picture of the old city. If, when you enter through this gate, it would take you three days to get to the other side of Nineveh. That's how big this walled city was. It was huge. Now, you and I can walk through New York City, and it wouldn't take us three days. We could probably do it in a day. So think about the size of New York City versus this magnificent structure back in those days. And you can see it was right on the Tigris River, so you can see the boats and just the magnificent. They say the wall of the city, that it could have chariot races. So three or four chariots could be racing on the top of the wall around the city. And we have another picture I'll show you pretty soon. But here's a view of what's there today, the remains of it. And this is one of the better structures that you can see. Most of it's a lot lower. And again, that's the artist's rendition. <clears throat> I'll get back to the picture in a second. Um, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. That's all he said. That was it. And I can tell you, he didn't say it with a compassion. Just reading the four chapters, you know that Jonah could care less. Basically, he's just saying to them, just like these verses, hey, 40 days and you guys are toast. See ya. 
So think of the attitude of Jonah. Was it the attitude that God had towards this great city? No. He loved them. He cared for them. And remember chapter 1 we talked about today? If you were asked to go to Iraq or Iran or going to the heart of where ISIS is to preach this message, yet 40 days. Think about that. Think about you going in there and what you would fear for. You would fear for your life. You would fear that you were going to be tortured. Remember, the, this, the Ninevites were barbaric. Very similar to what we see ISIS doing, torturing people, beheading people. They would maim people and torture people. They would spear people through the stomach and put the spear in the back of their head and put them on the road for other people just to be intimidated by them. If they conquered us and we were another nation, they would put fish hooks through our nose or our lips and string it throughout us and just be pulling us as conquerors through the city. Barbaric. They would put heads on poles. But guess what, everybody? That's going on today in the same region that we're looking back here in Jonah. It's the same area. And I personally believe what I shared with you, I think, in Jonah chapter 1. The demonic hold over there is the same as it was back here. I believe it's the same demonic stronghold. And it seems to be getting worse. And it's spreading. It's spreading. So we see Jonah's 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Here's another picture. Again, you can see the river going around it that feeds it. All cities were always built on rivers. Just like today, all the bodies of water are where the big cities are. And you can see the river going right through the city. Okay, of course, you can see the walls, but you don't get the death perception of the four chariots, but they're giving you the idea of the size of this city. One of the strongest at the time nations in the world. So Jonah begins to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cries this proclamation out that the Lord told him. But not with the heart of the Lord. Not with the heart of the Lord. But he said what the Lord wanted him to say. Verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Think about that for a second. How simplistic was the word of that one man and all of a sudden there was a ripple effect through the city of Nineveh. Millions of people were impacted. Can ISIS come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yes. Do we protect ourselves against ISIS? You better believe it. Whatever it takes. But I just want to um, encourage you and me. Pray for them. Pray for ISIS. Pray for Al-Qaeda. Some people have already come to know Jesus through these terrorist organizations. Don't take them lightly. 
but take them seriously and pray for them. I believe that's something Jonah is finding out throughout this, these four chapters. But notice the people, they just believe God. They proclaim a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And then the word, of the, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, an act of humility. He laid aside his authority. He took off his authority and put it down. He humbled himself along with his people. Pray that we would have a president and a vice president that would humble themselves before Jesus Christ and put all the nation under the covering of Jesus Christ as leaders. That's what this king of Nineveh did, a pagan king. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Picture up here of a person covered in sackcloth, usually from the black goat's hair. So it was rough and itchy. And they put this on. They would take their garments off and put this on as a sign of just bearing all and humility. Just who, even the king. Think of the king, first of all. The king takes his robe off, comfortable. The comfort of his throne room. Puts on sackcloth. Kneels in ashes. Puts ashes on his head, a sign of humility and mourning. Today, if some of you have come out of the Roman Catholic background, you know today is? Ash Wednesday. And dust to dust. Right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. A reminder to the people in Catholicism that you've come from the earth and you're going to go back to the earth. It's sort of like a check. Don't get too crazy because you're not always going to be here for long. And it's an outward sign, ashes, of hopefully something that's going on inside your heart. And that becomes more than a tradition of man. But like these ashes, it's a sign of mourning and, humil mourning and humility and weeping before the Lord, not only for your individual sins, but the sins of your nation, the sins of your community, the sins of your church. That we lay down before the Lord and say, Lord, as that song said, the first song, I'm weak. We're weak. We need you to make us strong, Lord. We can't be strong any other way. And notice what the king did in verse 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. This king did not mess around. He wanted every living thing to be under the fasting and the proclamation that, hey, we're all cursed by sin. We know that even with our pets, don't we? Think about it. Animals fight animals. Cat can't get along with all the cats. Dogs can't get along with all the dogs or the cats. But just think of the animal kingdom, the 
tension that goes on. Yet we have a promise and a hope that one day the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. That wouldn't happen here on this earth right now unless they were both dead. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Here's something that you've seen before. If God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was Billy Graham back in the, before the turn of the century, like in the 80s or 90s he said this. Think about that, that, he, that if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. So my question is this in verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? We know in reading the story of Jonah that there was a reprieve. And we'll see that next time when we get into four. But my question for us is, is it over for America? Are we being judged right now with everything that's going on? And that only the remnant of believers will be saved either through the rapture or through death. And that our society as we know it, it's too late to turn around. Only one person knows that answer, and that's God. But look at the impact that eight words had. In a nation that didn't have the technology that we have, can we spread God's word in a greater way than they did back then? I think so. I think so. I believe so. Do we? I don't know. Or are we waiting for someone else to do it? Are we counting on those Christians that are really zealots to go out and share God's message of love and hope and salvation? Verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. There was a reprieve, and just a hundred or so years later, Nineveh was destroyed. Because the people that repented and put on the sackcloth and ashes and really had a heartfelt change and asked God to forgive them and believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they went to glory. They went to heaven after their life. But their kids and their grandkids forgot about the heritage that they passed to them. And they were eventually destroyed by another nation. What is the story of the United States of America? We know we are still one nation under God because there's only one God. But there's a lot of enemy gods and a lot of enemies of the cross of Christ that are trying to spread lies and rumors and philosophies elsewhere. I believe that 
Jesuit was said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, how far does that go of healing the land? Will the healing of the land be those carnal Christians who really come back and are on fire for the Lord? Is it going to be the prodigals that realize that they ran away from the Lord and they need to turn back? Is it a, a national repentance that we will see? Or will it just be like the Jesus movement where it's a revival among believers and we'll see hundreds of more people come, but millions will still perish? What's going to happen? We don't know. But our God knows. And I think he wants you and I to have his heart of communicating with him for the lost, whether it be the lost in our church, in our neighborhoods, in the cities, ISIS, terrorist groups, the White House, prime ministers of other nations or kings of other nations. Because if the king of Nineveh, which was the strongest nation at the time, with just eight words, tore off his robe and put on sackcloth and ashes and his whole nation followed suit and there was a revival of millions of people with just eight words. Think of that. Eight words, millions of people came to the Lord. Eight words. See, if God is in the words you speak to somebody, powerful things can happen. Boston Marathon and different things that have happened over the course of maybe the last 10 or 15 years. We need to be serious about the call that Jonah had on his life because I believe that we're all Jonas. I believe there's a call on every one of our lives and that we need to take our God serious and listen to him and heed his call before the casualties become even greater. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.